I'm going to just start reading again in verse 1 and 2 so we set the stage for what's going on here. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So remember, when we come into Christ, we go from being slaves to sin to being free. And then he urges us to become bond slaves, slaves by choice to the Lord Jesus Christ. He does not enslave us to himself. We can become bond slaves to him by choice, and he urges us to do that, to not just stay free, but to become bond slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so... Um, he then tells us in verse 2 that our minds should be transformed, our minds should be transformed <clears throat> so that we may prove what the will of God is. So then what we covered, we covered through the gifts that are here, and now we're going to start covering, uh, portions here about our conduct. He is going to go right for our conduct. And we can say, wow, I, this is just so overwhelming. It's just too much. Or we could be, <clears throat> or we, we could be like the psalmist has said. The psalmist has said, the unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. We could delight in what he has for us. We could have a delight in what he has for us. That God has something delightful for us. God has something very good for us. <clears throat> and we could welcome this because we want to be more like Jesus. And what he's going to do is he's going to give us practical things to be more like Jesus. So do not be overwhelmed because with obedience to him, there is also grace. There is grace to help us in our time of need. And so now he gets into our conduct. These are not gifts, but he's going to go right for our conduct. And so we're going to start reading in verse 9 of Romans chapter 12. Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lacking behind, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. Contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who curse you. Uh, bless, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge. Beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he's thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you'll heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So there's this list. Some people have counted 19 where we functioning within the body of Christ and six that are directed outward, outside of the body of Christ, to those who are categorically against us. <clears throat> I'm not sure how they got exactly these numbers, but in other words, it's a lot. He puts before us a list. 
In the Old Testament, there are 613 commandments that Moses has gave to Israel. We are under the law. We are no longer under the law. We're not under any of those. We are under that which has been commanded us in the New Testament, written in the epistles, and there's plenty to keep us busy. Some people have counted 150 uh, commandments in the New Testament. Some people have counted many more. It just depends on how you count and how you divide them. <clears throat> but we can be quite busy, and God expects us to be conformed to his, his image. Now, think about this. We want to know what is the best way to act in certain situations. What's the best way to act at work? What's the best way to respond toward people? He gives us absolute instruction on how to deal with this. Sometimes we're instructed by reading stories in the Bible, and he instructs us through stories. What he does other times, as he's doing here, he gives us absolute lists of what we are supposed to do. Because sometimes we have, well, if somebody just told me what to do, I would do it. Okay? Somebody's going to tell you what to do. Be about it. Do it. This is what, what we're to be about. Now, the good thing about being fairly young is that you can change. As you get older, it becomes harder to change. Older people can change. It just becomes harder. When you're young, you can. You, it is easier to transform and to, to take these things on. So let's begin to look at these. <clears throat> the first one, he says, let love be, in verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. It says, in, in fact, the words let and be are, are inserted. That's why if you have a study Bible, they'll be italicized. It actually says love without hypocrisy. Love without hypocrisy. You know, if you stop and think about that, and I urge you to read the scriptures pensively, slowly, deliberately, where you read a verse and you think about it, and you say, Lord, do this in my life. What does this mean? Do this in my life. And I urge you to do that. Love without hypocrisy. And if you think about this, God is now commanding us. He is commanding us to love. And love without hypocrisy. So hypocrisy is is uh, uh, saying one thing and doing another. He says, love without hypocrisy. If you think about it, though, it's really, really hard to understand how can someone command us to love? That's like one of the very few things that we should be commandable in. You are to love me. Love me. You know, it's kind of hard. I mean, it's... If somebody commands us to love them, that might be the last person that we would love. You know, somebody can command you to pick up a chair and move it. They can put a gun to your head and say, you know, bow down. They can do all sorts of things, but they can't put a gun to your head and say, love me. I mean, just the opposite is going to happen. Yet in the scriptures, God commands it. So if you look in, in Matthew chapter 22, Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is asked, What's the great commandment in the law? What, what, what's the greatest thing that we should observe? So Jesus says, of all the law of Moses, and he's going to quote first from Deuteronomy, then he's going to quote from the book of Leviticus. And Jesus says in Matthew 22, verse 36, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So Jesus tells us 
the most important things in those 613 commandments that came through Moses, from God, through Moses, he says the most important thing is you shall love the Lord your God. There is a commandment. This is a commandment. They were told to love God. They were told to love their neighbor as themselves. They were commanded to do this. God commands us to love. It's an unusual commandment. But he commands us to love. And so, so let's think about this a little bit. How can he command us to love? Well, if we look, if we look in, in, in the New Testament, he goes on further in 1 John chapter 4, 1 John, and you see a little bit of difference between the way Paul teaches and the way John teaches. John is, is, you know, he is, he is the one that, you know, would put his, his head on Jesus' shoulder at the, at, at, at the, at the supper there. I mean, he has a, has a real tender heart. And, and, uh, he is commanding us also to love, but it's, a, it's, it's a lot less direct. He doesn't just say love without hypocrisy. He says in, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, <clears throat> for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So here he comes and he says, God is love. So this is such an overwhelming attribute of God that he says God is love. You could say God is merciful. God is kind. He says God is love. These are huge attributes within God. He says that love is one of them. Then he says, by this, the love of God was manifest to us. This is how the love of God was demonstrated, was shown to us. That God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. He sent His Son so that we might live through Him. I want you to think about this. That we might live through Him. This is a substitution. We are now going to live our lives through Jesus. That we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins or the sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if we, it, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So you can see this is a little bit gentler commandment. It's the same commandment. We're to love, but it's, it's not just love without hypocrisy. Period. And he says there's some sort of substitution here. That's what, that's what Paul was saying in verses 1 and 2. That we're to offer our bodies a living and holy sacrifice. We're to have our minds transformed. There's a substitution going on here. I am teaching you this because this is the portion that's within the book of Romans. I'm not opening this portion up to you as if I'm really good at this. Not at all. I am learning right along with you. But let me, let me share with you a verse that has really helped me in, in moving me more toward love of other people who I don't think would be particularly lovely if, 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 uh, if you were to ask me. And, and, uh, Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says this. And, it, and think about this whole substitution that he's calling us to. Galatians 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. 
And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I've been crucified with Christ. My old self has been crucified. You know, I was, I was seeing a, a life coach because Rice felt it was good for their professors to be coached. And uh, most professors were like, oh, I don't need that. But you know, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'll play the game. And so, so for like four months, I had to meet once a week with this life coach and she wanted me to take a test. And, and with this test, I would, I would answer these different questions. And I said, do you want me to answer in myself or do you want me to answer according to who I am in Christ? What I'm called to do in Christ? She said, just, just answer for yourself. It was abysmal. I mean, do you care about this? No. Do you care what a person? No, I don't care. If they, it was just terrible. And she's like, what have I gotten myself into? But that was the honest truth of, do I really care in and of myself? No, I don't care. I don't care that a person's struggling. I don't care that a student is failing the class. I don't care. It's in Christ that I care. It's in Christ. And, and, um, and so I care about my own children failing, but not somebody else's child. It's in Christ that, that we change. And it says, I have been crucified with Christ. That's why the Bible says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. This is not about Jim Tour anymore. It's not about what I like to do. It's not about me anymore. It's not about what's good for me. The Bible says that. It's not about us anymore. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But Christ lives in me. He lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. This total self-donation. Jesus gave himself for me. I am to give myself for others. He is always calling us to do way beyond ourselves. He calls us in marriage to do beyond ourselves, to do for this other person something that we would never normally do. I think if you get married and you choose, you choose not to have children for a long time, you do yourself a great disservice. Because having children will really help to free you from selfishness. Because this kid's going to be up crying all the night and and it's going to keep you up. And your child's going to be sick and congested. And I can remember nights just sitting on the couch with my daughter over my shoulder because to prop her up, she wasn't as congested and she could sleep. And I'm, you know, sitting up on the couch. Just You do many things for your child that help to break you of selfishness. And this is a good thing. And to delay and delay and delay. And, and sometimes, I'll, I'll, you know, people are in... You know, five, six, seven years. And when are you going to have kids? Well, we're thinking about it. I said, stop thinking and just do it. Enough thinking about it. You're, it's done. No more thinking. Just have kids. You've got to break yourself of this habit of it's all about me. It's about other people. There is a part in marriage where you have children, where you give yourself. Now, if you're not able to have children, God gives grace in another way. But if you are able, don't wait so long because you have to be broken of your habits. And, and uh, uh, there is a where you're giving yourself for another. 
you give yourself one for another. This is what he's talking about. He says, let, he says, love without hypocrisy in Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Love without hypocrisy. This is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to love without hypocrisy. Things are supposed to be different. And, and, uh, he, he, he just calls us, he calls us to take hold of his word. That's why we said in Psalm 119, verse 130, the unfolding of your words give light. It is under, it gives understanding to the simple. When he gives us these commandments, it is so good. And I'll remind you, if you are feeling, if you're feeling like, you know, you know, I just, I just, I'm having trouble drawing close to God. Let me remind you what you can do. You can read Psalm 119 and read it every day from beginning to end. It's, it's like, I don't know, 180 verses or something. It's, it's, it's a lot of verses. And you read that and it talks about the Word of God and what it's going to do in your life. And I would encourage you to learn to fast and pray and read that. And there was a guy who came up to me, he says, what can I do? I just feel kind of separated from God a little bit. And this wasn't too long ago. And I told him, spend a few days fasting and praying and reading reading Psalm uh, 119 every day. And, he, and then I saw him afterward. I said, how did it go? He says, it changed my life. He says, this has just changed my life. He spent three days fasting, three days just drinking water and reading Psalm 119. And it changed him. I tell you, this stuff works. I know it. This stuff works. And he says, love without hypocrisy. And then he goes on in verse 9 of of Romans chapter 12. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. This whole idea of abhorring what is evil. You know, Jesus must have abhorred what is evil. He didn't always comment on it. Sometimes he did. Sometimes he made a a, a scourge of cords and and he drove people out of the temple. But think about all the evil that he saw in his generation that that uh, uh, he didn't stop and comment on it constantly. But think of what he saw. He was to uh, he abhorred what is evil. God hates what is evil. If you read Psalm 119, the psalmist writes, "I I hate the evil, but I love your word, O Lord." So it says, "Abhor what is evil," because it is so easy. In all generations, not just this generation, it's so easy. There's, there's enough evil in the world that, that uh, uh, we can easily get uh, desensitized to this thing. And, 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 and um, uh, so, so we're to abhor what is evil and we're to cling to that which is good. Abhor what is evil and cling to that which is good. He says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Again, this whole concept of love. He starts with this, this love without hypocrisy. He starts this whole list with, the, with love. He starts this whole list and he commands us to love. We are commanded to love. This total self-donation, one for the other. In marriage, if this thought, if this word, if this action is not in the other's best interest, it is not the love of God. If this thought, if this word, if this action is not in the other's best interest, it is not the love of God. In relationships, if what I want to do with this young woman is not in her best interest, it is not the love of God. Everything has to be about the other's best interest. And he calls us, he says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. We are commanded to walk differently. 
we are commanded to follow this image of Jesus, which is very different than our own image. You walk by these characteristics, people will like you. People will often say, this is really admirable. Sometimes it will get them upset that you're walking according to this, but in their hearts they'll really admire what you're doing. He says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Give preference to one another in honor. I remember when, when uh, shortly after I got saved and I, I moved in this, I told you about this discipleship house, and, and one of the guys invited us over to his parents' home. So, you know, we're all hungry college guys and there was never sufficient food. And uh, um, and so the mom was had put the food out, and I was like, <laughs> just filling my plate. And one guy looks over, he goes, "Go easy. There's other people here." And I needed that instruction. Go easy. There's other people here. There's other people here. You would do well when you have guests to always let them take their food first, to always let them fill their plate first. Give preference to other people in honor. If there's a visitor, say, please, go ahead of me. Give preference to, to other people in honor. Give preference to them. If there's just one piece of chicken left, leave it for the other person. Leave it for the person after you. Give preference to one another in honor. We are to be different. You say, well, well they don't do it for other people. We are called to be different. If you be in Christ, you're called to be different. You want to serve Jesus, you've signed on the bottom line, you're going to work to be different. We are to give preference to the other person in honor. To give preference to them in honor. That's what we're called to do. Give preference to other people. Give in honor, to honor them. To honor them. When you when you see an elderly person, you know, let them ahead of you. When you help them to carry their plate. If you see a mom with a bunch of kids, help them. This is all the good characteristics that he's teaching us. Give preference to one another in honor. That's why Shireen so often will say, can somebody help them? Do this. Serve in this way. People will see this difference in your life and it'll do something for you too. This is what he calls us to. The the Word of God is so practical. He gives us these lists that that, that prepare us for life. He says, "Not not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, not lagging behind in diligence. You know, there's this 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 uh, this verse in Isaiah chapter fifty, verse four and five. Isaiah chapter fifty. It tells us about Jesus. What was Jesus like? We can learn things about Jesus that are written in the Old Testament that aren't even recorded in the New Testament. So it says of Jesus in Isaiah chapter fifty, verse four and five, speaking of the Messiah. He says, the Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. He says, the Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. The Lord God has given to me not just to satisfy myself, but so that I can give to another. Oh, really? When did the Lord God give to you? Oh, in the morning. He would awaken me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as his disciple. And that's why we see in Mark chapter 1, while it was still dark, Jesus would go off to a lonely place 
and pray while it was still dark. Everybody else was sleeping. Jesus was up praying. This is the pattern of the life of the disciple. If you want to walk with Jesus, this is the pattern of life. I urge you, I urge you to get in the practice of waking up in the morning, spending time in the Word of God. I urge you to do this. Spend time in the Word of God every morning. Time reading, time praying, time alone with the Lord. Jesus did it. You'd think, he's the Son of God. He doesn't need this. He's God in the flesh. Why does he need this? Because he was demonstrating for us a pattern on how we should walk. He demonstrated this for us. He didn't just tell us to do this. He came and he demonstrated it. You get up in the morning and you spend time in the Word of God, which might require you to go to bed a little bit earlier and spend time in the Word of God reading slowly. You pick up a book of the Bible and read it from beginning to end, picking up where you left off the day before. Please, read slowly. Don't rush through this. i got to finish this chapter today. Why? Why? Did God say you had to finish that chapter today? No, that's purely a human construct. In fact, when the Bible was written, there were no chapters and verses. And... and uh, um, You pick up where you left off the day before. Let God just minister to you. Read slowly. Let God speak to you and minister to you. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. Listen. Say, Lord, what are you saying here? Just mull over this verse. Lord, what are you saying? I was staring at this verse. Love without hypocrisy. Lord, what do you want me to say on this? All week I was reading this over and over again. Three words, love without hypocrisy. Lord, what do you want me to say on this? What is it? What is the lesson for us? And if you are teaching a Bible study, I urge you, even if you are given a little help booklet to teach from that or something, you will never have power if you just follow that little booklet. You will only have power if you've taken that word that you're going to be teaching from that week and you have just poured yourself over this thing and say, Lord, teach me. What is the message for the people today? You can read a commentary to give you the context of the time, but I urge you not to be dependent on bring out this point, bring out this point, and bring out this point in your study. Pastors who do that lose a lot of power. Unless you have poured yourself out over that text, over those words in that text, you'll be devoid of power. You can't take another man, another woman's teaching and translate that well. It has to be a part of your life. I have poured myself out over these verses and then when you come with that attitude, it's displayed very differently. It's displayed differently when it comes with that attitude, when you pour yourself out over the scripture verses. So, and that's why he says, I... Uh, He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. The Lord God has opened my ear. He spoke to me. And I was not disobedient, nor did I turn back. I will not be disobedient to this. I am telling you, I have meditated on the Word of God every day for 43 years. So it can be done. You're looking at somebody who's done this every day for 43 years. It can be done. And you... You know, I'm, I, I wasn't independently wealthy that I didn't have to go to work every day. I had, to go, I had to go to work every day. To this day, I work six days a week. I'm in my office every day. I'm in my office every Saturday. The only day I don't go to work is on Sunday. But I'm in my office every day. So I know what hard work is. 
but you can spend time in the Word of God. You spend time in the Word of God and He will bless you and give you many times over again. He says, not lagging behind in diligence. This is part of being diligent. And then he says, fervent in spirit. Fervent in spirit. You know, it, it says it in, in Luke, in, in the, the Gospel according to Luke chapter 4 verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit into the wilderness. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. If, if we are feeling devoid of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit hasn't left us. But if we are not feeling full of the Holy Spirit, I urge you to do what I just said. Spend some time fasting and reading Psalm 119. And be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let your life change. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. He says you are to be fervent in spirit. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. This whole idea of serving. You serve the Lord and He will honor you. As I tell you very often in, 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 uh, um, in the scriptures, in John 12, 26, if anyone serves me, Jesus said, John 12, 26, if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. If you serve Jesus, God will honor you. You know, young people come to me and they say, you know, I started doing what you were saying and I saw all these blessings coming in my life. I said, yeah, how could you not be blessed? Because the Father, the creator of the universe, is committed to blessing you if you serve. If you serve His Son, He is committed to blessing you. In Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the entire earth to strongly support those whose heart is completely His. God is looking for people to strongly support, not just support, but strongly support those whose heart is completely His. I mean, there is tremendous blessing in walking with God. I don't know what blessings await you. I don't know. But God knows. And I pray you don't leave those blessings on the table, that they go unused. Because God has so much for you when you serve Him. I have no idea what challenges you're going to face in your life, what what things you're gonna you're gonna be confronted with, but I know that when we live for Jesus, everything is different. So sometimes I say, Lord, love this person through me. You love this person through me, and then everything changes. It's no longer that I am trying to work myself into love for that person. It's Lord. We have substituted my life with your life. I have been crucified with you. Love this person now through me. And everything starts to change. This is the substituted life. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the word of God, which challenges us. And in that, you command us to be different. You command us to be like your son. Oh, my father. Take these young lives and conform them to your image. Lord, I pray that they would see love poured out through their lives that is beyond them, but that comes from Jesus, that they would live this substituted life, that it's no longer they who live, but Christ who lives within them. Lord, thank you for calling us to do better. Thank you for challenging us and commanding us. Your word is so wonderful. 
May Jesus Christ be glorified. And Lord, I pray for those unbelievers who might be listening here in the room or online. Lord, I pray that you would so work in their lives to see that they are enslaved to the devil, unable to walk in these things without knowing Jesus. And Father, I pray for the salvation of their souls, that they would be saved. And I commit this to you for the glory of Jesus. Amen.